you could all turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, the Gospel of according to John chapter 6. We'll be reading verse 51 together. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. John 6:51. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, it is a blessing to be here together with your people this evening to take time to consider uh, what Christ accomplished for us nearly 2,000 years ago. This truly is our only hope. As we consider uh, this text this evening, I pray that your spirit would use it to help us to see you more clearly and to strengthen our faith. Bless us this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We've gathered this evening to meditate on an especially troubling matter the death of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. To the outside world, to those who do not believe, this must surely seem quite strange to take time to reflect upon a death, an especially gruesome death, of a man who died nearly 2,000 years ago. But for those of us who do believe, who believe that he was more than a man, who believe that he was the Son of God who came to take the sin of the world, we know that without Jesus, death... There is no life. This past year has been one in which people around the world have had their perspective on life shaken. With COVID-19, many have been faced with the imminence of death. And though opinions on the virus range, we've all been forced to consider the fact that uh, our lives are short. We've also had many things in our lives that have given meaning to our lives shaken. Those who found meaning and security and predictability of a daily routine have been disrupted. Those who found safety and security in politics have been disappointed. Many have turned to life's material comforts in this distressing time and found that they cannot calm our distress. As I was preparing for this evening's service, I didn't particularly want to talk about COVID or this past year. I think we are all quite sick of it. We are ready for things to return to normal. We hear plenty of it in the news. But I didn't think I didn't think we could afford to skip over it given this evening's topic. That we serve a God who is always at work, who is always working in our world and in our lives. And one of the ways that God has always worked among his people is that he tests their hearts. He brings circumstances into their life which really show what is within them. And it seems that this past year, certainly, that has been the experience of many of us. We have had what the stuff that we're really made of inside of our hearts shown for what it is. And even those who don't believe, it's happened to them as well. They've really had to... Uh, look hard at themselves. Some have turned to Christ. Some have just 
seeing the despair that is there without him. So this evening we're going to be considering a passage from the Gospel of John in which Jesus similarly challenges people to examine their greatest need, telling them that there is much, that they are much more needy than they even realize. And when he tells them how much that how that need may, may be met, these people, for the most part, turned away. Specifically this evening, we're going to see that our greatest need is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, and that this righteousness is only available through his death, the death on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And as we consider our text this evening, John 6.51, we'll see that Jesus is making two simple points. Physical bread is not enough to satisfy our soul's deepest needs. Neither is political freedom or physical healing. Rather, the second point is that our greatest need is life, life that is only available through Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross. So what we're, I'm going to be doing tonight is I have one verse, John six fifty one, and I'm really going to be using this as a launching point to see what Jesus is doing in this whole chapter of John chapter 6. Let us, uh, in, in the first part of this verse where Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. We see that Jesus is telling people that they have a need for living bread. And that's a point that he's driving home for the first 50 verses of the book of chapter 6 of the gospel according to John. So let's uh, just kind of rewind back to the beginning of John chapter 6, where we see a very well-known story of Jesus, one that maybe even lots of people who aren't very acquainted with the Bible know of, and that's Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And what we see here is that Jesus has given people physical bread, and they are amazed. And so we see this miraculous act where Jesus takes a very small amount of bread and feeds 5,000, and there's even an abundance left over. And the people are so amazed that the Gospel of John tells us that the people actually wanted to make Jesus the king. Uh, it, doesn't, it says more so that Jesus, um, Jesus perceived that within them. And he knew it was not his time. That was not his reason for coming to the earth. And so he escaped. People were wondering where he was at. They were looking for him. Uh, and his disciples then leave, and they go to cross the sea. And we see another well-known story of Jesus walking in the water, because as his disciples had gone out ahead of him, uh, he then goes to join them as they are in the middle of a storm. He calms the sea, and he takes them peacefully to the other side. We also see in here that all those people who are left behind are wondering where Jesus is at, and the next day when some boats arrive, they go to seek him. Jesus has done all sorts of wonders. They are, they are curious, who is this man? He, he's like a teacher we have never heard before, and he is doing wonders that we have never seen. Yet when they arrive and they find Jesus going after him, calling out, Rabbi, his response, I do not think, is what they expected. For as we move into John 6 verses 26 through 50, we see that Jesus tests the heart of people who are following after him. They want him for the wrong reasons, and when he exposes this, exposes this, they turn away. 
And I've used this word test here. I mean, it's going to come up. So I want to make sure that when I say test, I, we all understand what I mean in a biblical sense when I say the word test, that God works throughout the Bible testing his people. And that is never to tempt them towards sin, but rather to expose what's truly in their heart. And in reality, it is a work of grace because we all need to see the filth that is in our heart so that we can repent of it and turn to God who alone can heal us, forgive us, and save us from our sin. And we see that that is really what Jesus is doing in these next verses. From 26 to 50, he's really exposing their hearts. He's exposing what they have, why they have truly been chasing after him. So here from the first verse, from verse 26, we see an interesting switch of tone. Jesus turns to them with a rebuke, saying, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This sets the stage for a back-and-forth argument between Jesus and these Jews who have been following him. What we see over the next uh, 20 or so verses is a back and forth between Jesus. As they, as he confronts them, they, instead of coming, replying in humility and receiving what he has to say to them, they expose that their heart, how hard their hearts truly are, each time showing that they are more and more calloused to the point by the end, instead of continuing to follow him, they choose to leave. In verse 28 through 40, we see a back and forth in which they're asking Jesus for a sign. Jesus exposes that the problem is not that they need another sign, but that they need hearts in which the Holy Spirit has awakened them to God's goodness and his ways, helping them to see the signs that have already been abundantly before them. In verses 41 through 51, we see that they get upset because Jesus starts saying that he came down from heaven. And they're mystified by this. They don't understand. They say, wait, weren't you just born in that, in that little redneck town over there? And he says, again, your problem is not that you can't understand, but that you need God to be giving you eyes to see and to understand. And in verses 52 through 58, they're upset that he said that they need to eat his flesh. Yet again, really revealing that they have a much deeper spiritual problem. And in verse 66, we see that as Jesus keeps pressing in and they keep responding with more and more callous hearts, we read that from that time, many of his disciples went back and followed him no more. So we're left with a question. What was the problem with these people? They were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. They wanted him to be king, but on their own terms. They wanted him to fill their stomachs. They wanted him to give a sign. They wanted him to make sense. But this is not how we approach Jesus. We need Jesus on his terms, not our own. And there is a sense in which Jesus' actions here were gracious. He exposed their hearts. He has shown them that they don't really desire him. They desire Jesus in their own making. 
Ultimately, they don't want a Jesus who came to free them from their sins. They want a Jesus who will grant them their desires. But this is not why he came. And we see that this is a way that God has, again, worked throughout his people. He did that with Israel throughout the New Test- Old Testament. And he continues to work this way today. Do you think that your greatest need in life is temporal comfort, political security, material wealth and possessions? If so, that's not what Jesus offers you today. Even those of you who believe, have we bought into lies that we need something else? Are we still looking for something greater to satisfy us? People of God, bread cannot satisfy us. Politics cannot satisfy us. Family cannot satisfy us. Ideal community cannot satisfy us. Because our greatest need is not food, family, friendships, or political security. Our greatest need is redemption from our sins and a restored relationship with our Creator, which Jesus alone can provide. So if it hasn't been made clear already, what Jesus offers us is so much better than what we think we need. He offers us reconciliation with the living God. Though we are enemies with God, he offers a way into the family of God. And this requires forgiveness from our sins, a positive righteousness that only he can offer, and new life in the spirit. And all this is only available through him. So let us turn to the second half of our verse for consideration this evening, verse 51, in which Jesus says, Jesus says, And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. We see here that Jesus is, the bread that Jesus has been speaking of is his flesh alluding to his sacrificial death on the cross. I'd just like to take a little bit of time to consider how, how do we know that that is specifically what he is referring to when he says his flesh. I don't want to take that for granted that that is what he's pointing to, but we see in, um, in verse 51 that two times he says, I shall give. Speaking of something that he is going to be doing, something that he's going to be accomplishing. And those of you who have read through the gospel accounts know that there is constantly this sense of movement toward the cross. Oftentimes, there are events that seem to be bringing that uh, in the moment, and Jesus has to slow things down, and he disappears, or he has to hold back from certain people. But ultimately, he knows his, pur- his purpose in his first coming was that death on the cross. We also see in verse 54 that Jesus again says, he who eats my flesh, and he adds and drinks my blood, has eternal life. And though Jesus here is not specifically teaching about the Lord's Supper, we see allusions to the same reality that the Lord's Supper represents. Calvin summarizes it well when he said, and though righteousness flows from God alone, Still, we shall not attain the full manifestation of it anywhere else 
than in the flesh of Christ. For in it was accomplished the redemption of man. In it, a sacrifice was offered to atone for sins, and an obedience yielded to God to reconcile him to us. If you're here this evening, I assume that you either believe in Jesus or have some interest in Jesus. But to all of us, but to all of us, I ask, what do you want from Jesus? Do you want something less than your greatest need? To be restored to God through the forgiveness of your sins? Has Jesus tested your heart tonight? Has he tested your heart through the, this difficult and trying year? This evening we're going to close by reading the account of Jesus' crucifixion. This is the Jesus in whom we must place our trust. And this is the Jesus who we call Lord. So if we could all turn to the uh, 19th chapter of John, we are together going to read the crucifixion account. John chapter 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, according to, and according to our laws, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, and went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, 
Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross Jesus of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple who he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it into his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, and he has been... And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall not look on him whom they pierce. This is the Jesus who gave his flesh for us. No other. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we truly can't comprehend what it means that the Son of God came to give his sins for the world. We truly can't. And Father, so easily we are 
deceived, misled by even our own hearts to try to make him in our own image, to to make our own Jesus in whom we desire to follow. I pray tonight that we would each be granted the faith to see Jesus for who he truly was, that your spirit would work in our hearts to receive him as our God, as our King, as our one and only Savior, the only one who can take away our sins, the only one who can give us his righteousness, the only one who can bring us into the family of God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May our lives show the change that is marked by those who know him as their Lord and their Savior. May we know that he alone is sufficient to meet our deepest need. May we be quick to repent when we think we need something else. Please strengthen your church this night. May we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. In Christ's name.